0: Hopefully help us understand uh, when and uh, how this was first given. So if you're able to stand, please stand with me for the reading, Zechariah chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 1 and read the entire chapter. The Bible says, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1, And the angel who talked with me came back and woke me, as a man who is awakened out of his sleep, and said to me, What do you see? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl on the top of it, and his seven lamps on it, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are on the top of it, and two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl, and the other on the left side of it. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spoke to me, saying, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. And he shall bring bring out its top stone with shouts, crying, Grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, for who has despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which roam back and forth through the whole earth. And I answered and said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right side of the candlestick and on the left side of it? And I answered again and said to him, what are these two olive branches that empty the golden oil out of themselves through the two golden pipes? And he answered me and said, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. And he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Let's pray together. Brother Rosario, would you pray for us? Amen. Please be seated. I don't know about you, but I've had some interesting dreams in my day. I'm not a regular dreamer, but my um, occasionally, maybe once or twice a week, I will have a dream. My wife has an uh, iPhone, uh, iPhone, iWatch that she wears, and in the morning she can check and see when she was in deep sleep and when she was in light sleep, and um these different levels of sleep, and I know there's one of them where you can dream more than in the other levels of sleep. And um, when we have a dream, or when I have a dream, I should say, I don't try to find any special significance in it. Uh, The reason is my dreams are so crazy that um, there is no meaning nor message therein, okay? However, in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah is having a series of visions, and some of them appear to him as dreams. Um, In your simplified, it says the ten visions, okay? And so there's a number of them, and um, I won't go into all the details of the book or every piece of the background, but I do want to give a bit of the setting because it's going to help us understand Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah lived hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus came to earth. He was one of the final prophets, one of the last few prophets that prophesied in the Old Testament period. And let me just give a summary of where things were in the nation and how they had kind of gotten there. Hundreds of years before, the nation had been at its peak. They had had King David as their king, and he had uh, built up the nation. Then King Solomon took over after him, and he was a king that kind of reigned over the high period. Um, There was a lot of prosperity. There was a lot of strength. There was a lot of surrounding nations that were sending in money to them. To avoid being taken over by them, so Solomon was kind of David and Solomon were the high point of the nation of Israel. This land had promises, and God had given a promise to David that upon his uh, throne, his seed would rule, and and so there was a beautiful uh, setup, and the nation was going really well. And then after Solomon, the nation split in two. They almost had a civil war. The north broke off from the south, and they became two separate nations, two separate kings, two separate kingdoms. And this great nation was now divided. And so, after this time, they kind of plugged along separately, and the north very quickly moved to apostasy and idol worship. The south continued more in the true worship of God, but eventually, the south, too, began to embrace idols, and... The north was taken over in uh, A.D. 722. I'm sorry, B.C. 722. The Assyrians came in and took over them. And then uh, about 150 years later, the south was overtaken by the Babylonians. And you have this great nation that had been God's people, and this was God's land, and this was God's temple. And they had this wonderful land, and it had been broken up and the kings were corrupt, and the prophets were, were uh, many times wicked men. And all of a sudden, the things have really, really uh, fallen apart from where they had used to have been. And so both nations are taken over. Well, after a 70-year period, the southern kingdom, the people return to their land. They return to their Jerusalem. They come home, if you will. And they begin to start building up. And this is the season of of Nehemiah and of Ezra. And these men begin this work of building back up this great city of Jerusalem. And they begin working on the wall. And they begin working on the temple. Well, when Zechariah begins his ministry and when he serves, he's at the point in time where the foundation of the temple had been built, but things had kind of ceased. They had started the work on the temple, but they had stopped or they had severely slowed down. People were discouraged and things were not going very well in the whole rebuilding the temple. They had kind of hoped that, oh, they would be back and it would be like the old days and they they hoped they would get their free and full liberty from Babylon and they hoped they could have their own nation again. And so you have, if, if you can just kind of imagine, you have this group of people that have hopes for this temple to be rebuilt. And yet all they have is this cement slab, if you will. And the work has ceased. And Zechariah is the prophet who is preaching to the people. Haggai is also preaching at this time and trying to lead the people. So the foundation has been laid, but things have ceased. And it is at this time that God's Spirit and God's angels come to him with these messages. And they come with messages that he is to either know for himself or he is to give to others. And in the text, you'll notice that Zerubbabel is the one who is uh, being addressed in verse 6, and then also in verse 9, and verse, uh, in, in those verses there, Zerubbabel, this message that God brings, Zechariah, is a message for Zerubbabel. Well, who is Zerubbabel? Zerubbabel is one who had returned to the land, and he was like the governor, the political leader of Jerusalem and of that area. There was a man named Joshua, not the same Joshua from the other the book of Joshua, okay, different Joshua, who was the high priest. So you have this high priest, you have this governor, and God comes to Zechariah and says, "I have a message for Zerubbabel." and this message comes in the middle of this vision, so he has this vision, and he 's talking with this angel about the vision and i won 't go into a lot of depth about the vision. Um, I know some things about it we don 't have time to get into the candlestick and the trees and the oil and all the pictures. But what I want to point out is that in verse six, it's as though God kind of turns or he, he totally changes the subject. And from verse six all the way down to verse 10, there's like this big parenthesis, there's this interruption. Um, you know, they're talking about trees and candlesticks and, you know, vision. And all of a sudden, verse six to verse 10, th- God changes and He he turns and He starts talking about these other things. Our key verse for today is going to be verse 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And this message is for Zechariah to tell Zerubbabel, The word of the Lord is to you this, not by might, Not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And what is this that will be not by might and not by power? Well, he goes on to say in verse 7, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring out its top stone with shouts, crying grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? So the message for Zerubbabel is You have laid the foundation, you will lay the top stone. Now, the top stone or the cornerstone, the headstone, um, the cornerstone is usually used on, on the base as kind of a starting point. But a, a top stone or a headstone or a capstone is the last stone that's put into place. And if you think of like a, um, an arch, I think this is the best example of this. When you think of an arch with, built with stones, okay, you, you start off with the pillars and you kind of bring the sides and then you, you work up that arch, right? And the final stone is that triangular angled stone that fits in the top and holds it all together. That's that last stone. That's that capstone or that top stone. And he says, Zerubbabel has laid the foundation he shall also put that capstone into place. Now, I'm putting all the pieces of the context and the message together. Zerubbabel is over here, and he's looking and he sees an empty foundation. And maybe some of the people that have been working have stopped working. Maybe some of the plans have been set aside or delayed, and there's not a lot happening. And I can't prove it, but it sounds like God's trying to send him a message because Zerubbabel has kind of got this idea of, well, maybe this wasn't such a good idea after all. Or maybe Zerubbabel is thinking to himself, this I started it, but somebody else is going to have to finish it because I'm done with this project. I don't know what Zerubbabel is precisely thinking, but I know that God has given a word to Zechariah to tell Zerubbabel. And he's saying... This will be completed. This work will be finished. But it's going to happen a certain way. And look again at verse 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by My Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This is how it will be done. It will not be by might. It will not be by power. But it will be done by My Spirit. You know, we might be tempted to read a verse like that and think, Oh, this is how it's gonna happen. It's not by might or power, it's by the Holy Spirit. So I will sit here and I will watch and wait, and all of a sudden one day, whoop, it'll be there. But that's not how it's gonna happen. He says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. That doesn't mean that Zerubbabel is not going to have to do anything. It doesn't mean he's not going to have to lay stones. He's not going to have to talk to people and work together and make it happen. Well, yes, there, there's effort involved, but that's not ultimately how it gets done. Let, let's talk about these words, not by might. Not by might. The word might here, uh, it, it has this idea. It can be translated several different ways, but it has the general idea of strength or might. Occasionally, it is translated armies which is a little interesting if you look at the final uh, end of the verse. What does it say? Says the Lord of hosts. That word hosts is a word for armies. Okay, And the word might and power are very similar. Uh, Some might even call them synonyms. But if there's one thing that we might draw out as a distinction between the two, it would be this. The word might sometimes refers to collective strength. It refers to an army of people or a group that is working together. And so, uh, you know, in our world today, we would call this networking. We would call this teamwork. And uh, we would call it, um, uh, you know, borrowing smarts or um, gathering others to join in. And, and he says this will not happen by this group might or this group power. You might be scratching your head a little bit. and You say, well, what, what, what's the idea here? Because... It, Is the Bible against teamwork? Absolutely not. Is the Bible against people coming together and working together for the Lord? Absolutely not. That's not at all what the verse is teaching. But Zerubbabel is looking at this empty foundation. He's tried his teamwork. He's tried his, you know, rousing speeches or whatever it may be and it's not happening, and the Spirit of the Lord says, well, ultimately, it's not by might. It's not by human strength and ingenuity. It's not by the corporation, or the organization, or the board, or the uh, gathering together. That's not ultimately what's going to get this work done. Sometimes people put their faith and their hope in the collective wisdom, in the collective strength, but according to this verse, the Bible is teaching us that we are not to put our faith in the collective energies of peoples. Secondly, the verse says, not by might, nor by power, nor by power. Again, these are very similar words, almost synonyms. But if we draw that distinction like we did between the collective energies, here we could say that it's not by the individual. It's not based on an individual's might or power or strength that this temple will be finished. Building a temple is a big task, isn't it? I, I mean, we, we, do you remember in, in uh, 130, we've looked at Noah building the ark? Noah had three men helping him, his three sons, right? We don't know that he had anyone else helping him. And it took him a hundred years to build the ark, right? Well, I've got news. At this time in history, Zerubbabel and Zechariah and these guys, they're not living 600 years or 900 years, you know. They're living, you know, probably similar to our time, you know, 70, 80, 90 or something. And they don't have 100 years. And he, you know, Zerubbabel looks at this massive thing. And here's this, you know, the foundation of the temple is not quite like our little parking lot, okay. It's, it's a large, large thing. And 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 God comes to him and he says, "This will not be done by collective might. It will not be done just by having that one person, that one singular person." And if I could just say that sometimes people and sometimes churches put their hope in a person. They say, "If we just now, I know this is a, a temptation, right? If we just had that one." new uh, staff member, if we just had that one person that had lots of money, oh, if we just had that one person that had the gift of evangelism, oh, if we just had that one person, and sometimes it's if we just had a different pastor, right? Whatever it might be, but we say, oh, if we just had that one person, oh my, how things would be so much better. Well, I'm not negating the effect that one person can have, but do you know the verse is trying to point us to this final conclusion. And it says it's not by might, it's not by power, it's not by many, it's not by one. Do you, remember that, uh, do you remember that verse, I think it's with Gideon, where it says the Lord is able to save by many or by few. And you notice how the verse says the Lord is able to save? That's what this verse is teaching us. And the verse says it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit says the Lord. It's by my Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the One who is at work in us and through us, this is where our faith and hope should be. What is it that is going to take you from this empty foundation to a completed work? Now, let's make some, some specific application and some church application here, okay? You may have someone in your life Maybe it's a family member you're praying for. Maybe it's a, a problem relationship. I mean, maybe it's a, a situation where you said, I have done what I can do. I have prayed. I have tried. I have worked. I have done what I can do. And it just sits there and nothing's moving. Nothing's changing. There it is. And you might be tempted to think, you know what? There's just nothing going to happen with that. 2024, there it is. There it is. Uh, but there, that's just nothing. And, and this verse would teach us that we would say, you know, I, I can't uh, change this person. And even if I brought a bunch of counselors and, and uh, money people or wise people or good friends or whatever it is around this person, that wouldn't be enough to change their heart or to change their situation. But there is a God in heaven and there is a God on earth the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us believers and who is at work all around this earth convicting and changing hearts. And I can't change this person and a whole bunch of people working together can't change this person, but God, the Holy Spirit, can reach their heart. You might have a a health need or a financial need. You might have some area in your own life where you feel like a failure and you say, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. And this verse to you says that you alone and humans alone are not the answer, but there's a God that, is, that dwells within you. We have just looked recently in John chapter 14 about the Comforter, about that Helper who is beside us. And in the text it says He's with you and shall be in you. And that's now. He is in us as believers. We have the Holy Spirit. We have this Comforter. He is with us changing, working, teaching, and guiding. And this verse would teach us to trust the Holy Spirit. Can you trust the Holy Spirit? Or are you content to say, I'm going to keep doing what I can do. And I think I can fix it. I think I can figure this out. I heard the analogy, and it's just an analogy, but I heard the analogy of driving a car and this was the example. You, you could have the Holy Spirit sitting next to you in the car and you can drive the car and, and he can just tell you where to turn. And, and the person was saying, you know, some people try to live their Christian life that way. They're in the driver's seat and God is kind of beside them for counsel when needed, you know. And if I have any troubles, I'll reach out. But, you know, just let me drive my car. And that's how they roll through their Christian life. And, and, and the, the storyteller is saying, you know, actually, they said, the roles need to switch and the Holy Spirit needs to be in the driver's seat and I need to be beside him. And then he said, you know what, it'll never work. He said, it'll never work like that because you know what I'll do? I'll reach out and I'll say, oh, no, 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 don't, don't turn here, turn here. And, and, and I'll reach out and I'll grab that wheel and I'll say, no, 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 we need to get off on this exit. And so they said, you know what I need to do? I need to get in the back seat. I need to get in the back seat and let the Holy Spirit drive the car. And he said, you know what? That'll never work either because I know what I'll do from the back seat. I'll be shouting things and I'll be saying, no, no, no. He says, I need to do is I need to get in the trunk and let the Holy Spirit just drive and take me wherever he will. Now I know it's just an analogy, but I want to ask you, who's in the driver's seat in your life? Who's driving you? Who's making the decisions in your life? You know, there are times where I have to stop and pause and meditate and ask these questions about my heart, about my life. Is the Holy Spirit doing the work? Or is it me trying to accomplish it alone? There's three conclusions I bring from this verse. Number one, we must cease self-reliance. We must stop relying on ourselves, trusting in ourselves. You know, Jeremiah 17, 5 says, This is what the Lord says Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his arm, and whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like the shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a land of salt that is not inhabited. How many of you say, That's what I want for my life? I want to be in the wilderness in that place where there's no water, where it's really dry, and where nothing goes as it's supposed to. That's what I want for my life. Nobody would sign up for that. But the path to the desert has some shiny signs along the way. And the Bible says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. That's precisely what God through Zerachariah is telling Zerubbabel. Don't you put your trust in humans to get this job done. Put your trust in the Lord. And if there's a message for Pastor John today, it's this, I must not put my hope and my trust in people, whether it's myself or others, I must trust in the Lord. He is the Lord of this church. He is Lord of this place. And my confidence for the future of every nation Baptist church is the Lord God Almighty. It is His church. It is His work. And so I will not put my faith and my hope in might and in power and in human wisdom and human words and there's so many things that we can rely on that draw us away from simple dependence on God. The temptation to rest in money. The temptation to rest in certain people. The temptation to rest in our own wisdom and to say, I can think through this. You know, I, I can figure this out. The Lord calls out to us and says, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. So we have to turn away from self-reliance, from self-confidence, from trusting in our own way and our own wisdom. Secondly, and this is rather simple, but we must cooperate with the Spirit. We must cooperate with the Spirit. And this is where that, that analogy kind of breaks down about being in the trunk, okay? Because God does not intend for us to be in the trunk and we just don't do anything, right? We're like tied up. Like this is the Christian life, you know, do nothing and God does it all. That's not the idea, right? The idea with that car analogy is about who's in charge, okay? That's that, uh, the idea. But, but God, you know what he does? He works through people. He works in us. He teaches us. That's how Paul could talk, talk to the church of Corinth and he said something like this. He said, when I came to you, I didn't come with the words of man's wisdom, but I came with the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of the power What does he mean when he says that? Well, Paul went there. Paul spoke, right? But the Spirit of God worked through him. And so we can either go through our life doing things in our own power, in our own way, or we can go through life with the help and the cooperation and the power of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit working in us. We're not just intended to um, to the let go and let God idea but rather it's step forward and trust in God. Open your mouth and let God speak through you. Reach out in love and let Christ's love shine through you. And this is where, as our hope and our confidence and our trust is in God, we go about, we come to church, we serve, we give our money, right? We put our minds together, right? But we do so in the trust and in the, the reliance on God's Holy Spirit. So we cooperate with the Spirit of God. I I remember the verse that we went over not long ago in John chapter 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, he shall do the works that I do also. And greater works than these he shall do, because I go to my Father. I think about that verse. Greater works. And and we discussed how uh, that idea of greater works probably refers to greater in number. And we pointed out how in Jesus' ministry, there was a few who believed and a few who followed him. But on Pentecost and after, there was a greater number of of, uh, people that came to faith. God, through the Holy Spirit, wants to use us to do work for his name, to be used in the hands of God. Lastly, I urge us with this, count on God, count on God. Notice the ending. I want, I want you to imagine this ending. Verse 8, um, well, verse 7. Who are you, O great mountain? You know, Zerubbabel had a problem, and it was like a big old mountain. And it says, Guess what? This mountain's going to be like a plain. This mountain, is going to be gone. It's going to be either removed or it's going to be changed. But this mountain, Zerubbabel sees a mountain. And you know what God looks down and sees? He sees a plain. Well, how, how is that gonna to come to be? How can a mountain be moved to become a plane? That would have to be a, well, that would have to be an act of God, wouldn't it? That would have to be a work of the Lord. That's not something a rubble can do. Have you ever taken a mountain and turned it into a plane? No, no, I haven't. Didn't Jesus use this exact analogy? And he says, if this mountain is before you, if you pray in faith, it can be cast into the sea. And see, there's some mountains in our lives. There's some challenges that are bigger than us. And you know we look at that and we say this is a horrible problem this is just an awful thing because look at this mountain and these things it's not changing and and you know what god sees he sees an opportunity to show his power god says look what i can do now they can't do anything and we oh, we can't do anything about it god says yes now i can show myself strong look what i will do and god steps in and he moves this is what should cause us to count on God, to have confidence in God, to rely on Him. Zerubbabel, something had died in his heart. Something had changed in his heart. And maybe he had some, some zeal or some you know, naivete or something where he just thought this was going to roll, click, click, click. You know? And sometimes we kind of imagine that, don't we? You know? I'm, I'm the kind of guy when I imagine a... Well, I've grown over it, but I used to imagine making a car repair and I say, oh yeah, I looked at the YouTube video. It'll take me like 15 minutes, right? I've gotten over that and it has a lot to do with me. But I plan on three times as long and I plan on things not going as planned. That's how I plan because I'm really bad at car repairs, okay? But um, but but the point is, you know, and and I've, I honestly it's so bad that I have to stop and pray before I start, all right? That's how bad it is, all right? Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe this is my mountain, all right? Uh, and, and God brings me through it. But my point is sometimes we imagine things just, unfolding like without any issue. And Zerubbabel had maybe started out with that in mind. And all of a sudden, he's looking at an empty, flat foundation and all his friends are off doing other things. And he thinks, don't we have a temple? We have a temple to build. What Have you, have you missed it? And here comes the voice of God. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. This is my verse for 2024. we we're going to have some mountains to move. We're going to have some things that, that we say, I don't, I don't know what to do about this, or I don't know how we're going to solve that. But you know the promise of God to us is that we have the Holy Spirit. And He has not forgotten or abandoned us, but sometimes He just pushes us into the corner until we realize, look around and we actually see we don't have any other option. And we look to God and we say, Dear God, help. And He helps. And you know what that teaches us? just to depend on God. Yes, I'm going to work. Yes, I'm going to plan. Yes, we're going to serve and we're going to do. We're not just going to stand here and be like, God does it all. No, no. We are laborers together with God, Corinthians tells us. But we do so in faith and in confidence in God alone. He is our hope. He is our trust. This gives me great hope and great confidence because our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Zerubbabel had a mountain. God said it would be made a plain. You have some mountains. Put your hope in God. Trust in Him. Give it some time. Let's see what God does. Let's bow our heads together. We're not going to have a a hand-raised invitation, but I just want to encourage you that if God's spoken to your heart, please use this time, please use this moment to speak to the Lord. Tell him about your mountain. Maybe you don't have a specific thing on on your mind, but you just know that there's going to be some. And ask the Lord to build a deep faith in your heart that you'd remember this verse this year. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Father, I thank you for Zechariah and Zerubbabel. I thank you for these verses I'm thankful that there is truth for us today. May we not be those who would turn away in the midst of what You've called us to do. May we not be those that despise small things. May we not be those that would imagine that You've made a mistake or that You have stopped Your working. Help us to remember it is by Your Spirit. O oh, Spirit of God, You are with us. You are not done working. You are still moving mountains today. You have answered prayers in 2023. You have met needs. You have saved people. You have changed hearts. Lord, You have opened doors. And we have full confidence, O Holy Spirit, that You will do so in 2024. I pray if there's anyone in this room whose heart is closed to You, whether they are unsaved and their heart is closed to You, or they're Your child and their heart is closed, O Holy Spirit, Would you convict them? Would you draw them to a place of unity and of freedom and of oneness with you? Oh, Lord, I pray that no one here would leave with the attitude that they can run their own life or that they can accomplish their own goals. Dear God, we are so fragile and weak. You alone can accomplish these things. And at any moment, dear God, you can take our health. You can take our finances. You can take those relationships. You, Lord, you have all the power. And I pray that we'll not pretend that we can control things. Dear Lord, help us to rest in you and to do your will in humble cooperation, in humble dependence upon your spirit. I need this truth, O Lord. I need it for me. And each one here needs it for their own lives. And our church needs it as a whole. We trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet together.